Welcome. This is One Christian, One Topic. Today, our guest is Deacon Royce Winters. Today's topic, Celebrating Black Catholic History Month, Tracing Your Catholic Roots, a project by Deacon Winters from the Office of African American Catholic Ministries in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Let's get to it. Deacon Winters, looking back on it, what were the benefits that came from producing such a project? You know, the biggest benefit, I'll have to start with myself. I'm a convert to Catholicism. So as an adult at at 22 years old, I came into the church baptized uh, on Easter Sunday, with not Easter Sunday, Easter vigil with my my three-year-old daughter, right? We we came into the church together and it, it, my journey began there. But then after 27 years of serving on the Cincinnati Police Department as a police officer, uh, somewhere in the last five years, I began formation to become a deacon. And the uh, African-American Ministries Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati had an opening. I applied for it. They hired me as the director of African-American Catholic Ministries. I soon found out in my own research that I didn't know much about being Catholic, much less being Black and Catholic. So so that I began as a part of celebrating National Black Catholic History Month, which which really it was uh, inaugurated in, in, in November of 1990, uh, that we began, that I began this project of researching what did it mean to be Black and Catholic in this Archdiocese of Cincinnati. So, so it was a, a great benefit for me uh, to to dive into the uh, the, the archives of, of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, but also all of the, the the archive records for the Catholic Telegraph, and just some great stories. And I was allowed it allowed me to meet some great people. Speaking on that, because it for me it seemed like a very well researched and put together document where you got just kind of the history of it, but you also try to capture the voices of parishioners, what people have said. How hard was it to get that information, both if it was available or if people were willing to kind of share it? The the hardest part was reaching out to the various peoples to capture the voices, as you said, to capture the voices of the people who have lived out this faith in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, right? And the, the underpinning of it all was that in the Midwest, and I'm 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 gonna I'm, when I say Midwest, I, I'm I'm including the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, is that there's always been this question of how can you be black and Catholic, right? You, every, every time, you know, I've gone somewhere and people say, well, well, I didn't know there were black Catholics, right? So so the underpinning was to 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 unearth this history. And what I came to understand, there have been people who've been black and Catholic all their lives, right? It is what they know, it's who they are. And they I, to 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 address the issue of someone saying, well, why not black and Catholic? Right. But but they, it is something that they've known and something that, that they embrace and it shows through in their stories. Have you seen it, the project expand to other places outside of the archdiocese? Have you heard any kind of feedback from other folks outside of the archdiocese? You know, the, the reality of the question that also was on, on Earth is depends on where you are in our country. You know, if you if you're down in, in Louisiana, it's it's. It's rich with Black Catholic and that experience. If you're if you're in Detroit, if you're in Atlanta, if you're you know if you're in those places that are, have a high population of Black folk, and also this Catholic heritage, you hear different questions. But the appreciation was that the information was there, but also there were people 
who were able to tell their stories and we can enter into those stories no matter what part of the country that we are because we've had that similar experience. That, 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 that though black and, and Catholic, culture may be different, but there is a black experience within the Catholic church that, 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 that just rings out aloud no matter who people, what the people are that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Biggest response was in the first edition, there were people who responded to it and said, there's so much history left out, right? There, 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 there's so many voices left out there. You know, to think I, I began the, even in the process of trying to name those first black parishes in the archdiocese. And, and, you know, you really didn't in the archdiocese, you really didn't start out with parishes. They were missions. They were missions where uh, white folk or white parishes were uh, rather than have black folk join them as a community, we're going to start a mission parish. To, you know, you know, and and you stay where you are, we stay where we are. We can be Catholic separate, right? Uh, the the other piece was that it did begin this conversation locally of embracing the history, the gift of blackness in this archdiocese, no matter how much it had been suppressed in the past, right? Uh, just, 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 just to hear those stories of, it was uh, Archbishop uh, McNicholas who in 1942 had to write a letter to his, to his priest uh, saying to them that that ministry to black people was now an ordinary assignment and we need some priests to step up. That also meant in that it meant that there were priests who were not willing to do that, right? And that's been, so what's, what's happening in society uh, this separateness, this racial injustice that was going on in society, it was in the church. But that's how it always is, right? If it's happening in society, it finds its way into the church, and we have to negotiate that meaning that we have to live that faith out and find who we are as true witnesses. The 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 other part was uh, having this great mentor, who was uh, Father Clarence Joseph Rivers. He was. He was the first black priest ordained in the diocese of Archdiocese of Cincinnati in 1956. And our relationship began when I was searching for God, searching for a, a place to land. I, I went to all kinds of churches, Pentecostal churches, uh, holiness churches, Southern Baptist churches, AME churches. But I walked into a Catholic church and the liturgy caught me. And Father Rivers was preaching that day. And his homily, he was preaching about racism. And I went to him afterwards and said, I'm searching for God and you're preaching about racism. I, and, and, and I couldn't make the connection. And he just told me I didn't know who I was, right? I didn't know who I was. And, and, and one, it, it pierced me because it was true. I didn't know who I was as a black person, but I certainly didn't know who I was as a Catholic person. But he then walked me to do that. And, and he and I developed this relationship where we traveled around the Midwest giving talks. And, and he was the one that the first black priest in the Midwest that people would talk about and was Father Clarence Joseph Rivers. And what they wanted to hear roll off his lips was, God is love and he who abides in love, abides in God, and God in him. And that was the first song that in the Black Catholic community that people just gravitated to. But not only the Black folk, the white folk and, and who were hearing that, there was a richness in that. And, and, and it just, it, it, it kind of bonded us together to, to go forth and, and, and preach this good word. So. I want to 
emphasize that I like the way you structured this document in the sense that you try to give a history, but at the same time, you try to also capture the exact, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but like newspaper mm-hmm. clips, yes. you, you, you just included the article for mm-hmm. us to try to read it as, as in the moment when it happened. Mm-hmm. And you try to try to capture people's voices, their own writings. You let them mm-hmm. kind of uh, share that. Yes. What prompted you to lay it out like that and let the people's voices themselves speak out? And I think some of it, what you were saying, you're including the voices of some priests and then yes. themselves kind of speaking of that themselves, you know, mm-hmm. from, from whatever article that was uh, captured from. You know, to speak about what it meant to be Black and Catholic had to be connected to the larger story of what it meant to be Catholic first, right? But then also to dive into this separateness that was going on in the society and in the church. And the best way for me to catalog that was was, was to go into the archives, to go into the Catholic newspaper and and see the the, the stories and unearth them. And, and, And I didn't have to find the words, the document themselves spoke truth, right? Of, of what was going on at the time. And, and to lay that out, it was, it was easier to go to deeper into the archives and to the Catholic Telegraph because that it's in writing and all I have to do is pull it out. I've got a lot of research and pulling which, which stories you're gonna use, what's important, but this collective story of being black and Catholic in the United States. And then to, to within that lens, to then dive into, in this archdiocese, what was the gift, but also what are the challenges? And then the beauty then led out to, within those articles, began to name people who were still living and to go out and interview them and, and to go out and meet those and, and, and to have them share photos. You know, one, a couple of, of those articles that I, that, that, that I can recall that were just, just, just beautiful. I had have a family and they're still members of the church that I belong to, the parish that I belong to, that there was an article uh, from Mother of God Mission, which was in, in, in a, a Black neighborhood here in Cincinnati. And they had never seen the article. They reckon, hey, that's our family. We were the family that came in. And so, you know, to share that kind of joy that they never had seen it. And they and they said, well, I got to have my copy. Where's my copy, right? So they, they had that. And then another uh, a lady from another mission church in Cincinnati that that had closed and she saw that photograph and then we went and interviewed her and she shared her story and her friends about what it meant to be a young black person teenager and to come into the church as a teenager. So not only those those lives that live from the, the the archival work that was there, but to talk about the live stories of people who are living today and they embrace that way will share their stories. I mean, there's nothing, one of the great ways that we pass down faith is a sharing of stories and, 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 and the, the ability to look back and see how God had been walking with us in those times. I also want to highlight, I really love that section where you presented on the way the institution, people in power within the Catholic schools, when there was uh, the whole desegregation, segregation, mm-hmm. and you outline kind of the letters and the kind of the articles where you pointed out how these people in power are trying to continue the segregation. There was presented this idea of uniting what was, I think, predominantly a black mm-hmm. Catholic school with a predominantly white Catholic school, but mm-hmm. you kind of, even in these articles, you point out how they were trying to maneuver out of that mm-hmm. and kind of like continue the whole segregation. So 
I also like that presentation of you just outlining, this is the article, this is the next article and kind of just letting that speak for itself. So I, again, I just want to say, I like the way it was laid out and presented. You know, one of the things that it connects for me today, that that in, in November 28, 2018, the uh, U.S. Bishop wrote the document, Open Wide Our Hearts, the Enduring Call to Love, right? And in that document, it's, it, I'm going I'm to I'm paraphrase what it said. It says, too many good and faithful Catholics are unaware of the institutional racism and its impact on the dignity of life. You know, in 2018, and then we to to apply it to this research, this 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 project of that we're still in, still dealing with that systemic issues of education and of and 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 how we wrestle with uh, the unjust policies in the church, out of the church, in our world that that, that still keep people poor. Right. One of the things I had to, that I, I I had to deal with it here in the, in the archdiocese, and I'm sure it happens other places, is that as population began to move out of the city, it put some stress upon Catholic schools to remain open. So one of the ways that they could remain open is to accept um, state dollars, but also to say that our schools, their schools began to become more people of more of, 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 of a brown hue, right? Whether it be black kids or Hispanic kids, and the challenge was for the people who, uh, whether or not they were going to be attentive and what the think about the system has to change, how we treat people had to change in order for them to keep their schools open. So that was a great challenge. And yet we have schools that are open and the parishioners in the school may not embrace the schools in the way they had in the past. But this is the only way they were going to keep their school open in order to to stay open. They had to accept brown kids, right? And uh, that's been a gift, but also been a challenge even today, as it was then, uh, as, as as we looked at it in the project. Have you noticed uh, the archdiocese also working on their kind of capturing their history? Have you come across probably since then, like, oh, I didn't realize another part of the country also has a similar document that kind of tries to capture that Black Catholic history within their archdiocese? You know, what was unique about this project was that here's the archdiocese that has less than 3% Catholic pop, Black Catholic population, so that uh, it was it was easy to get lost, right, in the, as as, uh, as as society changed and expressways came through and they decided what properties they were going to take it, it changed whole black communities and people began to disperse and and that for for those catholic black catholic cities and archdiocese where there is a, a a significant number of black folk they did a better job of retaining that history right it was a challenge for us because as as we began to close parishes it was always the the urban parishes that closed first Right. What? Why? Why would that be so? Is that even? I'll use my example of my parish that was uh, started in 1890, a German Catholic community. In the 60s, we had the riots, and then there were folk whose parents and grandparents, and their grand great grandparents, built a church and a school. But because the neighborhood changed, they left all that. Right. So what? And that that is as those communities became more black and brown, the 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 parish became more more black and brown, but with less resources. So, so that with, without those human resources, but also those financial resources, those large buildings take a toll, right? So, so that, and there was, there was a great project to claim a history, but to also talk about the resilience, uh, the, uh, 
the endurance that it takes to celebrate and, and to retain culture at a time where where in, in at least as in as the history that they were pushing this Eurocentric expression of what it meant to be Catholic. So how do you do that? How do you, and the other part that we had to push up against was how do you be black and Catholic without being black and Protestant? Is there a difference? Yes, there is, right? You embrace the sacramental life of the church. So that 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 we weren't trying to be Protestant, but we were trying to bring this black spirituality of who we are to 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 bear on the music that we use, on the symbols that we use. Um, you know, the 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 unique things of of having a a, a Eurocentric church in its art, and to leave that there, but then to in, introduce Kente cloth and. And, and, and crucifix with black corpus, African corpus, and all those things to reflect the people. So, so that that's part of being in that, that and, and to be engaged with, with other archdioceses, others, and other black Catholic offices to have this conversation on how do we continue to do this. So it's been a great point where we could say we we each has this history, but but how do we continue celebrating that history? You mentioned that some parishes unfortunately have to close since this, uh, or some of the parishes that were mentioned, were some of these closed? Is th is this document now one of the few remaining that captures what was there before? In the moment, you know, we probably are unaware that, you know, I'm just capturing this parish history, whatever, but well, knowing it, it may become the last remaining testament of, of what what was there, the church, the parish so was there. In, so in 2007, 2009, we had 11 predominantly Black Catholic parishes in our studies. Today, in 2023, there are four. Uh, St. Joseph, which is in our West End, was the what was was the first Black parish, not, not mission, but the first Black parish for Black folk. Uh, we have the Church of the Resurrection, which is in Balm Hill in Cincinnati, which is where I'm, I'm, I, I am the pastor, administrator, deacon, and serve there. But in 2012, we merged four churches into an existing facility, right, in, in, in my own life. Then we have a mission church that's still open, which is Mother of Christ. Uh, it's, 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 uh, again, all of these are, are in, in, in Black neighborhoods. And then the next one is, in, even though it's Archdiocese of Cincinnati, it's in Dayton, St. Benedict the Moor. St. Benedict the Moor was the first Black parish built for Black folk, right? Not a mission, but Black folk. Um, and uh, so that even though, as, as we recognize that there are people who are leaving the church, the, the smaller churches are being 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 uh, are hurt as well, right? Is is that we reflect society? So that how do you when and the reality of when you have a parish that and you don't have a school, where are your young people coming from, right? You know, that 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 the school the school system provided a wonderful opportunity for us to form children, but if there's not a Catholic school in the neighborhood where the parish is, then you most of our children are finding their social educational needs outside of the community where the church belongs. And for them to come back to the neighborhood, uh, the challenge of just being a Sunday church is, 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 is um, some, sometimes it's not easy to overcome that burden. So. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that the larger society we need 
is connecting those dots. Like what yes. happens when we mm -hmm. close this Catholic school? What happens when we combine churches? Okay, we're combining churches, but that means for a specific group of parishioners, they have to travel mm -hmm. so far, much further, yes. you know, to attend mass mm -hmm. and it kind of, uh, you know, breaks down like that. So I feel like you on speaking on it kind of mm -hmm. raises up that point is that there are consequences to certain decisions that oh, yeah. maybe people don't take into account what the after effects will be. You, you know, even today, the my current parish, we have parishioners who are coming from 46 different zip codes. They're driving past Catholic parishes to get to us. They're getting to us because there's a spirituality that speaks of a God who is present, right? A God who who, who is hospitable and loving and everybody is welcome. But we, we also don't look at the all the, the, the great damage that it did. In a sense, people always say, so, well, why don't we have Black vocations? Why are the, meaning Black religious vocations? Well, we have to realize that not only in this diocese, but other dioceses, the church said to Black families, we don't need your vocations. So that meant parents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents, weren't weren't inviting their children to uh to even pray about entering into a religious vocation and again since 1956 we we've only had two other black priests ordained in this archdiocese but all of them were and including me as a deacon and the other black deacons that we've had here all of us were we we weren't born in the church right we we were converts um, and we're on fire. We, we, we bring a, a great enthusiasm. But we realize that when schools leave the neighborhood, Catholic schools leave the neighborhood, you lose that opportunity to have a direct effort at, at being fruitful in creating vocations, right? Um, because all of us at some point in time, except I, I, I mean, I came as an adult, but, but all the others were raised in a Catholic school where some priest, some nun, some religious person had shared their vocation and they said, I want to do that too. So you lose that ability. And in, in, in the Midwest, we have an increase in vocation, but where are they coming from? They're coming from white closed Catholic communities, right? Catholic communities, meaning there was a time, even in my lifetime, where uh, the church I belong to, the whole neighborhood was Catholic. But now you, you rarely find those kinds of bastions of great faith where, where the whole community is living out as Catholic faith. There's many challenges, many roadblocks. I know that for others, it's once they kind of decided they want to uh, be ordained priests, then there's a challenge of entering seminary yes. and that seminary in life because they're mm -hmm. the only Black person, they're the only minority. Yes. And just the experience they have is very harsh that some of them end up leaving because they're... Mm -hmm. They can't, yes, yes. you know, experience so, that. So, so here, uh, let's say in the at the time, and let's say that we were talking about the forties, fifties, sixties, where the church said to black men here in this archdiocese that if you wanted to go to formation as a religious priest, you had to go to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, right? A society of the divine word, and there were people who went but were homesick, right? And then you have even this conversation now that's happening where we have African priests who are Africans who are in the seminary studying. And my conversation has been is that in order for them to succeed, to withstand uh, the pressures of being African in a majority white seminary, is that you have to assimilate so much that you lose a part of yourself, right? 
um, that 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 to that to to go to a an order a first mass of an African who was ordained a priest in the archdiocese. And if I close my eyes, I will never recognize that there was any culture other than Eurocentric culture at that mass, right? Um, that it was it's a great gift to have that expression of blackness. But you know, in order to think about you, you spend that many years in a seminary in Eurocentric, you you have to assimilate the culture in order to survive. So that's been the, the that's, that's still the issue that we have today in, in, in forming men and women for faith. And I think it's kind of a um, downward spiral because it means so much when you can see yourself up there in the altar as an altar server, as a priest, as a deacon. And for children, it actually, you know, that image says a lot to kind of be like, oh, maybe I can do that as well. Mm -hmm. But if there's roadblocks from people even being allowed in those Mm -hmm. positions, those roles, then it, again, creates a downward downward spiral where, you know, they're like, I can't see myself being a priest. I can't see myself being a deacon or altar server, whatever it may be. You know, just just bring up, make me smile because it reminded me of a story of my grandson who was attending a Catholic school and he was in, he was processing to receive a communion and they wouldn't give him communion. And he kept telling them that, 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 that he was Catholic. He said, you're not Catholic. Right. And he came home and told us, told the story. So I went up and, and, and talked to the people. It was like, well, we didn't believe him. If you look at his records, it's, you know, he's a Catholic school. He's a, <laughs> but that, you know, that is it, it, funny, but it's not right that we, we know our inner cities, Catholic schools, most of the, the children are not Catholic, right? But, but, but how do we engage them in a way that we can inform them that they say that, that, that I've met the Christ in this space and I, and I want to do this too, right? And, and not only educate them, but form them in a way, one, that they meet the Christ and in meeting Christ, they want to celebrate those sacraments that come alive as, 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 as they see them and as we experience them. Um, and and, and we, have to, we have to be that kind of uh, evangelical approach, when I say angelical at, at its best, of, of sharing good news, sharing our stories so that people can meet the Christ who's present in each one of us, right? And I think that's why, you know, something like this document that you wrote, it's very helpful celebrating Black Catholic History Month, tracing your Catholic roots, mm-hmm. because it highlights for folks who may not know, like where yes. we have come from as a church, you know, mm-hmm. this is part of the history. And, and I feel like that gives more substance to our mm-hmm. current situation where we need to kind of see, we, we need to remedy this, we need to reconcile mm-hmm. what has historically has happened. So again, I, I greatly appreciate it and yes. recommend this document for so everyone. Thank you, thank you. You know, uh, again, so that, that, that in what the document allowed me to do, but I think in, in sharing stories with, 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 with other people, in the Black church, we use this phrase, we're standing on the shoulders of our ancestors. What a wonderful way, and go back and get that history and see how they lived, how they endured, and they still stood on the faith that spoke of a Jesus who rose and died for them and gave them life, right? That That is there. And we say we're standing on the shoulders, gives us appreciation, but it also says that, that the faith that we have didn't begin with us. And when we, when we say that great creed and we, it's the faith handed down to the apostles and now down to us, we continue that great, 
gift, that great mission of sharing God in the world. And, and it's all caught in, the, not all caught, the, the stories bring about how that is alive and well in our communities. And I think that's whole, the whole part of, you know, being in communion, not necessarily just with us in the present day, but yes. connected to, you know, mm-hmm. all these saints from past because we're, we're right. all one under God and it's, yes, we can't separate ourselves from them. If anything, we need to unite to, to them, to their voices and to that, to that history. Deacon Winters, thank you so much. At the end of all my interviews, I ask all my guests the same brief questions, three questions. Uh, The first is, what is one scripture verse or part of the Bible that really resonates with you and why? There's a, or Paul has a reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he begins with, we are are earthen vessels. And then he talks about that we we are perplexed, but not in despair. And then talks about that we're it begins to talk about living through that endurance and that all, all, all of that, that presses upon us that uh, sometimes challenge whether or not faith is real or not. And said, but, 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 but I'm paraphrasing that, that, that Jesus is still alive in us, right? That, that though we, I'm, again, in, in interpreting what I think it means for me in, is, is, is that as we endure the hardships of life, it is faith that we lean on that provides us this, this, this joy and hope that overcomes all things, right? Uh, and that when, uh, and, and I add to that, when it says rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice from, it, it, it's from First Thessalonians reminds us that in order to do that kind of rejoicing, you have to have a relationship with Jesus, right? You can, as a person of faith, faith does not sustain itself unless it's rooted in Jesus. So is that acknowledging that there's suffering and trials, but to that faith leads us to a place where we can rejoice anyway. My second question is, what is one word or a couple of words that you would like God to use in describing you? Hmm. That he had, a, he had a desire to seek God in his word, but in his people, right? Phrase, a, a desire to seek God in, in his people, but, but, but also in his word, right? It's, it, it, it's just connect that uh, of all the people of faith that leaps out of scripture is that they had a desire for God, right? That their heart was set on God. So if when I when they, when you know when I get to those gates and, and come on in and and, and said that, that that he had a desire for me, right? Lastly, is there any last comments, things you want to add? You want us to help you promote or others to support? You know, we're 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 at this point in our in our lives. As, as a faith-filled people, that, that I would encourage everyone, as Pope Francis did in the Joy of the Gospel, to seek an encounter with the Christ so that it, it would change their lives, but it would change our world, right? This, a commitment to being formed once again to, uh, as, 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 as we, we've heard in such, you know, might be we heard in other places, be born again, be born again, but, but to have it, how is God present now and how God, how is God asking us to change so that other people can witness the glory of God in our midst, right? So that we would commit ourselves to being formed once more, uh, to be prepared to, to share the good news so that, so that as we would take up on that invitation from, from Pope Francis to be engaged, to be, in, to be formed so that we can have a new encounter. Well, thank you, Deacon Winters, for this encounter, this conversation, and again, for this project. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you haven't, 
please check out for yourself the Celebrating Black Catholic History Month, Tracing Your Catholic Roots document, which you can find in the Office of African American Catholic Ministries section in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati website. And also please subscribe to this podcast to listen to upcoming episodes and continue sharing with others. God bless us all.